James Genus, fantastic bass player, jazz, upright, electric. He's uh, currently holds the bass chair in the Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live band. And he's on tour right now with Herbie Hancock. Got his start out there with Horace Silver at a very young age. He's played with David Sanborn, Roy Haynes, Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, Wynton Marcellus, the list goes on and on. Uh, Michael Brecker. <laughs> I asked him who he hadn't played with and it was a little hard for him to think about. Like, who haven't I? We talk about his uh, performances and recordings with Roy Haynes, Herbie Hancock, how he approaches playing both acoustic and electric. We talk about playing with one of my favorite drummers, Jeff Watts, what it's like being on the Saturday Night Live band, and just life in general of the working bass player. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here's James Genus. Welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado... Here is this week's episode. James Genus, welcome to the Playful Musician. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am. I'm doing good. I'm just. Uh, as I've, as I've been saying through this whole thing, just kind of navigating, you know, mm. through what's been going on. Yeah. How has this last year, last 18 months been for you? Um, uh, life changing, I guess I could <laughs> say, because <laughs> my life, yeah. my life literally did change mm-hmm. from, from being, you know, a musician and, in the studio and traveling and doing all that stuff to being at home. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. And no outlet and no, you know, just internal or within your own four walls. And, um, yeah. So that's how my life changed. Did you learn anything or did anything about that, that alone time or that solitude surprise you? Um, (laughs) 
because well i have to say it wasn't solitude because okay it was like also two two children so oh right so that's how my life changed also so (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't like i was sitting in my in my corner (laughs) contemplating life and all that (laughs) no how old are your kids changing diapers and all that oh oh my gosh um during pandemic three one and uh now two four and a half okay wow yeah and i have a have a 15 year old too so yeah wow busy daddy somewhat (laughs) yeah so were you were there any projects at all that you were involved in over that time like any recording stuff or or any performances did you do any of those like um I'd say more, more like um, um, people reaching out, you know, to, to do some tracks, you know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> to record bass on some things, um, maybe do some writing here and there. Um, uh, you know, no live playing. Sure. I think there might have been like one live thing that I did the whole pandemic, but um, right. yeah, it was just mostly like you know within your your four, four walls. walls, yeah, yeah, and people would send you stuff. <laughs> Were you practicing at all? Were you, or was it hard to practice during that time? Uh, I tried to fit it in when I could. Like I said. Yeah. My life changed, so it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have the luxury of like lounging around and like, <laughs> to, you know, pra- right. practicing. Sure. <laughs> no, I hear you. No, it was it, but you know that that was a good thing. Also, it kind of, I feel like it, um, it just focused me on another you know, another side of my life. And, mm-hmm. um, and you was never, that the first time you'd had a big break from all touring and performing? Yeah. Yeah. It's the first time. Yeah. Since it, you were like 21, probably mm, uh, <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah. 17, 16. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Cool. Yeah. Back in the old days. So, yeah, go ahead. No, I said back in the old days of uh, working at theme parks and working at uh, 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 dinner theaters, mm-hmm. you know, playing. Are you in a country band too or something? Country band at Bush Gardens, yeah. <laughs> no, that was a part of it too. Right. All part of the, <laughs> the James Genus educational experience. <laughs> yeah. So you're rehearsing right now. You rehearsed today even with Herbie Hancock's group. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, we are, I, I guess, I guess you look at it as like any kind of like artist going out on the road, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. not like Lady Gaga would say, okay, I'm starting my tour. Um, I'll meet you in, you know, Cincinnati and we'll hit, right, you know, right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you know, 
there's rehearsal time. Yeah, yeah. Especially now, because no one's been like interacting that much musically, and um, mm-hmm. nobody's really been playing, or you know, it's just yeah. like a like another life. So we're out in Chicago and we're rehearsing and getting ready to start um, this tour. Um, kind of Midwest to the West Coast. Because mm-hmm. we were supposed to do a big tour last year for his 80th birthday, and then it didn't happen because of... Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's that's what I'm doing this, right now. Is this the first... Are these going to be the first real gigs that you've had? Um... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've I've done some I've done some gigs like uh uh with Jeff Watts and James Francis and uh Paul Bolenbeck like at Smalls in New York. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. which I hadn't played in like I don't know when. But were you playing acoustic was, or upright? Or, upright, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. sorry. Both the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I meant to say, my brain said I, I, electric, and now it came up right. <laughs> I knew, I knew what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, and that was a whole other thing because it was like during the pandemic, it was easy to just like break out the electric and kind of, you know, shed and, and do stuff. But you mm-hmm. know, bringing out the upright, you got it's got to be the right time of day, and. Um, humidity and all that well i'm just saying because or i don't have a, oh because it's loud it's loud <laughs> you wake everybody up and yeah. uh i didn't have a you know a place that i could play at night in my home sure so yeah so um they kind of got left alone for a minute mm-hmm. yeah and but i bet those were some fun gigs though yeah, for my fingers, no. But yeah, for <laughs> for your soul, <laughs> musically they were great. Musically they I were bet. great. Yeah, I I love doing that. I miss that. That's what I missed. I miss one of the things I missed about it. But was being with your community. Yeah, playing and just going to check out music. You know, you don't always mm-hmm. have to be playing. Go listen yeah. to music also, and then get inspired and um, and then you can play too. You have the opportunity to right. play. So. Yeah. Who's this band that is going on in the road with Herbie? Um, Lionel Lueke on guitar. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, Elena Pendius on um, flute mm-hmm. and vocals and Justin Tyson on drums and Herbie. Have you played with uh, Justin prior to this? Yeah, actually, Justin, uh, Vinny couldn't make a tour. I think it was in the fall. It might have been the fall before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so he, he made the tour. And, you know, wow. it was nice. You know, like a fresh approach. And, you know, because he's coming from, um, you know, the, the Glasper camp, you know? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was good. And he, you know, he came, he came with it. So, yeah. 
and it's, it's nice. How does that, I'm curious how that works when when you walk into the room. It's a new drummer, and I know for the special relationship between the drummer and the bass player, and to to <laughs> to build that rapport, like you know, how do you how do you navigate that? Like how how do you how do you start to really build that trust and rapport with somebody? in a high stakes I, situation where, I, you know, I, I, get, I just thought about this when you were just talking. <laughs> no, because you have to, you have to do it in the same way as when you meet a person, like you may have like mm. a preconceived idea about the person or you've heard things about yeah. that person, but until you've actually like met the person and been in a conversation with the person or interacted with the person, can you have your own opinion about it? Mm-hmm. And I feel, I was just thinking like, yeah, that's kind of like with music in that relationship because you can hear it from afar and, and enjoy it and, um, you know, and then you can have a preconceived whether you like it or you're not or you don't like it, but you never played mm-hmm. with it, so you never know. And then I think that's the, the whole beginning, you know, like being introduced musically to each other and then start playing with each other and not have a preconceived idea about their approach. And you get, mm-hmm. you, you get your own uh, information from what you hear on the band. Sure. <laughs> on the band yeah. stand, you know, cause you could be like, man, he can't do this. or she can't do this. <laughs> and you'd be like, Oh, she can. Or you could like, Oh, she can't, or he can't, or, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. or man, their, their, their music vocabulary is like incredible. And I would have never known, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Or the connection was yeah. so great that I would have never thought that. But anyway, yeah, he, it's a nice connection. Yeah. That's cool. And it's always like, yeah, for me, I always try to, however, it, however the music or the musicians or whatever, I try to like add what I can to help, you know, make it an overall better uh, musical experience for the whole band for everyone. Yeah. 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 How do you like, I, maybe this is overgeneralizing, but you know, drummers can have big personality. <laughs> they could be big. I guess I'll say ego. Some of them can have big egos, you know, and mm-hmm. I could, I could imagine a situation where you walk in, and there's a drummer who's like, yeah, this is my, you know, you're following me kind of thing. Like, you know, I'm setting the tone. And uh, I, you know what? I <laughs> truly have never heard that. <laughs> really? Never. Oh, well, that's I, great. I don't even know how I would react to that. If somebody yeah. was like, this is what it's going to be. I'm laying it down and you're just on the thread. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in a few bands. Uh, well, yeah. yeah. Wow. I guess that's because... It's a different level of musician. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I would. I, I. I would say okay, and then, <laughs> then maybe the truth will reveal itself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about with like? I know you played with. I mean, you've. Man, the list of people you played with is impressive. But one early on, didn't you play with Roy Haynes? Roy Haynes, Horace Silver, yeah. Cedar Walton, um, 
back a bunch. Roy yeah. Haynes and um, uh, um, <laughs> Roy Haynes and Horace Silver. No, I'm sorry, Roy Haynes and Harvest Silver yeah. were like during the same time. Like I was okay. like, it was like a year and a half. I was playing with both of them. You know, doing tours with yeah. one, starting to do a tour with the other. Yeah. Did you, what, what did they, I know this is probably really hard to answer, but I'm curious, like what, what did they teach you? Like, what did you learn from, is there anything specific that you carried away from Roy Haynes, from Horace Silver that still sticks with you to this day? Well, yes. And then I'll say this also that I've, people ask me like, Like, what's the difference? Or how do you feel like the generation is different from when you came along mm. till now or after or whatever? And I say the schools. And in the schools, I mean what we're just talking about. The school of, yeah. the school of Roy Haynes, the school of Horace mm -hmm. Silver, the school of Art Blakey, the school of Betty yeah. Carter, the school of Tony <laughs> Williams. These are schools. And these, mm -hmm. these are the things that you're asking me about that you learn in these schools. You learn mm. the etiquette of being on the road. You learn how to present yourself. You learn how to uh, react on the stage, react off the stage, react to, you know, uh, trying to find food in in Spain, when you don't know that fiesta, siesta is, you know, happening. <laughs> oh, right. Um, you know, how to catch a train, how to, you know, mm. all, all these things. Like, my first tour with Roy Haynes was basically like I had to go to, because I was telling my girl about this the other day, I had to go to, to D.C. I think I had to go to D.C. to get a visa for my passport when I was in New mm -hmm. York, because I think you had to go, it was something weird where you had to go to the consulate down there, or may, maybe not, maybe because I was still in Virginia, that I had to do all this, and I felt maybe it's easy to go to, to DC. Anyway, yeah. and um, I caught my flight over to Europe, to uh, Charles de Gaulle in Paris, and I sat in the airport for six hours maybe, after I landed, mm -hmm. because everybody was coming from different places. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, four and a half hours, still long. Right. Real long yeah. time, yeah. And you're standing, you got all your equipment. Uh, and this, I might have been like carrying a base at the time. I don't know. And um, waiting for everyone to arrive. And then the next thing you know, when everyone arrives, you're getting on the train. And then you're getting on the train and you're going to wherever you're going. And mm. that's a part of that, that life, man. And part of like learning. And, um, that was my first gig with Roy Haynes. And it was like, it was like yeah. a long, it was like 20 something hours probably traveling to the first gig. <laughs> Do you remember where that gig was? Uh, Bilbao, Spain. I'll never, oh, I'll never beautiful. forget. <laughs> From 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 Paris to Bilbao by train. Wow! <laughs> I don't even want to look at it because I know. 
Do you remember anything about the gig itself? Uh, that first gig in Bilbao? No, it was amazing. Dave Kokoski on piano, Craig Handy on um, tenor sax, and Roy Hanks, mm -hmm. and that was it was great. I mean, playing with like you know, I was like kind of the beginnings. Well. Horace Silva's a legend too, but you know, just started. Sure. I started to play with these legends that I knew from growing up. Yeah. And how did how did that feel playing with those legends? And you were young. You were young. Was, yeah, 21, 22, 23. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was. You know, I mean, it goes to. It continues to who I'm playing with now. Like you know, it was like. Yeah, that's like the, the mecca, right? <laughs> right. Do you ever go like, really? Is this I get to do this? Like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was like that with them, with mm -hmm. with Horace and with uh, with Roy Haynes, and you know, because I always feel like I don't know if he gets that recognition, but I feel like Roy out of the drummers or out of the musicians of his era, he was the only one that his identity and how he played did not, um, did not pigeonhole him into an era. Like he mm -hmm. sounded the same way he played with behind chick as he sounded when he was playing with, you know, with John Coltrane, as when he, you know, with Sarah Vaughn, with Billy, you know, it was just him. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, you know, and that, that was amazing to me. Like, cause it wasn't mm -hmm. like he was, he was just being himself and his, his right. self and the way he, you know, presented himself on drums, it just crossed over all those, you know, <laughs> those times or those eras of music because you know you can tell when like a cat is like from the, the 50s or what you know you can tell mm -hmm. you can tell but yeah but for him you know it had his had a little thing on it had a little thing on it yeah. and and horace i mean i i went to i went to la to audition I bought my plane ticket and flew to LA and auditioned for him. How did that how did that come about, that audition? Um I was playing with some guys uh with this band Out of the Blue. And Out of uh -huh. the Blue was a blue note young lions group with Was Kenny, Kenny Garrett, Garrett in that? Ralph Bowen, Mike Mossman, mm -hmm. uh Ralph Peterson. Mm. Um, I think I had that. Robert first Robert Hurst on bass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, they were like the cats. And but yeah. then you know it has trans you know transformation of different versions of the band. And so at some point yeah. I was like subbing for the you know for gigs, and mm -hmm. the two horn players that were playing with with uh, Horace said that he was looking for a bass player. So I was like, I said, you should try to go out, check it out. It'd be fun. You know, we'd be on the road, we'll be together, blah, 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 blah you know, some money. Mm -hmm. And right. so I bought a plane ticket out to LA. 
And he came and picked me up and we went out to his crib in Malibu and uh, went to uh, have something to eat. I can't remember where we ate. And then, <laughs> then the next day we went to Stein on Vine in L.A. and auditioned and played. What was the audition like? You just you guys just reading and playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reading yep. his shirts. Yeah. And how did how did that feel? That audition? Were you nervous? No. No. <laughs> I don't know. It was. It's. It's weird. It's kind of. I mean. I paid to fly out there. I shouldn't be nervous. <laughs> right. I must feel a little, I think, but I think at that time I was, um, my last year of college, uh, Ellis Marcellus was, uh, artist in residence and he was, that was Virginia mm-hmm. Commonwealth. Right? And he was my teacher and, mm-hmm. um, you know, my private teacher and, I would do gigs with him and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, met the family. So, you know, Jason, when he was like doing violin lessons, when he was like nine years old and (laughs) Branford would come to town, went and Delphio, you know, so I got to know all of them. And then, and I was playing with him too. And, you know, sit in with, with, you know, one of the bands that came through town. And so, Hmm. I had somewhat a bit of, you know, ignorant confidence. So um, <laughs> I think that helped, you know, and I had been doing gigs in New York yeah. too. So, and I had been playing with people. So it wasn't like, you know, right. I think at that time I had played with Whitney Houston. I played with Sissy Houston. Wow. Um, yeah, on the on the other side of the fence of playing music, mm-hmm. but um, sure. But it was a gig that you know I was like, man, I'd love to do that, and I'd love to play with him. And yeah. chance of a lifetime. Yeah. And then, how long were you with Horace Silver? That whole Horace Silver, Roy Haynes thing was like a year and a half. It ended yeah. like eighty eight. Yeah. Started kind of eighty seven. Gotcha. 88 or 88-89. Here's James taking a solo off of an album by Makoto Ozone called Dimensions. This one is Tag Me.
how did you meet? Do you remember the first time you met Herbie Hancock? Uh, the first time we met or the first time I met him? <laughs> the first time you guys, <laughs> the first time you know, the two you know of you, I'm, yeah, you know no, the, yeah, <laughs> the first time it was a mutual meeting. Um, I don't really know, mm -hmm. but I know that it, it became apparent who I was and who I was playing with or whatever when I was playing with Michael Brecker. Yeah. And playing with the Brecker brothers and all that. So, you know, on the road, you see each other. You might right, stand. And we played, they played together some too. Yeah, they played together. They know each other. And, you know, you sit on the side of the stage and you listen for a couple of notes <laughs> as whoever's playing. Then you go off mm -hmm. and go to your dressing room, go back to the hotel. You know, kind of. Yeah, yeah. When you're on the road and when you're at uh, festivals, that's either you, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of want to hear like what's going on. Mm -hmm. You check out people, and then so I'm sure he checked me out along the way, and um, yeah, and and different different ways he's probably heard about me through other people right. in, in the industry. So, um, but. Uh, and then did he just like call you up and say, "Hey, you want to play in the band?" How did that? How did it come about? <laughs> yeah, the the first uh, conceptual thing there was a band, and there's no, I don't think that, there. There's probably some recordings of it somewhere, okay, or video, but he wanted to put this band together and I was actually at, um, I was with Dave Douglas and Hamburg at the NDR big band. We were doing something for NDR big band in Hamburg and we were sitting at breakfast. And then I got this message that, you know, his manager wanted to talk to me, Herbie's manager. Mm. And, um, so he's putting this band together with um, Terrence Blanchard, uh, Lionel Lueque, um, amazing harm harmonica player Gregoire Marais, hmm. and um, Kendrick Scott on drums. And we did a two-month tour. <laughs> wow. I know. It's crazy, right? Two months. Where, <laughs> I mean, I actually went home and I went home and came back. We had like mm. five days off, and I was like, I actually went home and did an SNL because it was a, I was going to be home to do a Saturday, and I could leave on like Sunday or Monday to get back mm -hmm. to get back <laughs> to the tour, and that's what I did. And I was like, yeah, two months though. And that was in Europe. I was in Europe, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, that might have been right after, maybe right after he got the album of the year. Hmm. I can't remember. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um, so yeah, they called me to do this band. And I had played with him on and off, or, you know, jammed, you know. Yeah, yeah. We knew each other from afar. But, um, and so yeah, I did that group. And then, um, then 
that kind of disbanded and people were doing stuff and he started another band and then he asked me if I could come back and do some more stuff with him and that was I guess over 10 years ago wow that's so cool there's a great video of you guys playing watermelon man mm. <laughs> <laughs> and have it like dueling uh, or he's playing the he's playing the guitar guitar and you're playing the bass yeah we, what's he like as a band leader like how and as a as a director is he really specific with instructions or how do how do the rehearsals go um we kind of just play um i think he's coming from the same philosophy as um as miles did because he kind of mentioned mm-hmm. that um and i'm not saying that this is his philosophy because yeah i am not <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah don't anybody say that but you know they they never really talked about music. They just kind of, um, they just kind of played. I think he said mm-hmm. one time Miles mentioned something about an, an intro and a song. And, you know, basically paraphrasing the story without me doing my antics about Miles and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but just kind of like, maybe sometimes you don't need to have like an extravagant intro to, for a ballad. And it can be simple. And that's your introduction. Right. And and he kind of went back. And it's a classic recording, too. And we've heard it. And I wish I could remember what it is. But Well, there's one with Red Garland where he's, but, Red's playing this. But this, uh, is, this, with, is, with this is with Herbie, though. This is with Herbie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, I think it's during the, the Four and More and all that stuff. Okay. But um, And so I, I guess it's kind of like if if I need to tell you what to do and how to do it and what to play, maybe you shouldn't be here. Right. You know, no, I, I get that. I'm just curious. Like, no, no, I'm, he's, he's, I'm not, I'm not, yes. this is, I, I feel like he's never come in and said, do this or do that or blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. He, you know, he might make suggestions or do it, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, but, I think he's just going kind of with the flow and yeah. if he likes the way that the flow is going, then <laughs> it's good. He said, he told me this one story. He said, um, he was, uh, during the whole period where, uh, miles was looking for a tenor player. And, you know, there's a period where there were a lot of tenor players that were, um, mm. playing, with the band and anyway yeah. so but but Wayne ended up being there and so they got to their first gig in Europe and um, you know they didn't play they didn't rehearse nothing like that and they're on the side <laughs> of the stage and, and Miles goes up goes over to Wayne is like you know have you checked out the music and he was just like yeah and then he just kind of looked at him and he went and then they went on stage. <laughs> like, you know, he just did his thing with his trumpet. They went on stage and and killed. Because I mean, yeah. cause you, I mean, at some point, you know, and that's I think that's kind of like with Herbie and, and Wayne. Like, they don't mm-hmm. have to talk about anything. 
they'll just go in and just just play and it'll be amazing i mean i right. i was i did this one gig with them at the um uh, at disney hall in la with uh vinnie caliuta mm-hmm. and the same thing that you know we got into the room and you know this place was a full day of rehearsing and it just it was turned into like you know we got there and it was like two and a half hours had gone by and then it was kind of like, oh, do we want to order some food? And, you know, it's kind of, you know like, and I'm sitting over there going like, yo, let's play. Can we play? No, I'm here with Wayne and Herbie. Let's play. And, um, but then all of a sudden, uh, Vinny started doing something on the drums and I followed him. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of like organically came together, and we just started playing, mm-hmm. and it was it was amazing. And I think that was it for the day. <laughs> I don't know. I right. Think, I think we did something else, but it was kind of like because that whatever we did went on for like a long time, like morphing sure. different things, and um, yeah. Um, and I think that that's what they look for, and I think that you know that's. We try to give him that, but in an honest kind of way. And um, what an amazing experience to play with those two. Yeah, yeah, it was. Not only are they icons, but they're just from, I mean, not, not that I've ever met them, but they just seem like such amazing humans. They are. Amazing people. They are. such heart in their music I I just can't you know I'm sure as you have you've met like many people and many people that you've met along the way who deserve the right and probably overbear the right to look down upon you and treat you not so nice and you know just treat you less than what they are and man those two no, yeah. no, yeah. no. Michael Brecker was like that too. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Here's James with Herbie Hancock from that clip, Watermelon Man, live. Thank <laughs> you. 
when I was young, I met a very famous alto player mm-hmm. who was exactly the opposite of that. Right. And, <laughs> and but, you know, because I've seen both sides of it. And so I can really, yeah. if I had only seen one side, I would have been jaded by the other side. But um, yeah. especially when, you know, you hear horror stories about, you know, these are people that we like, you know, <laughs> we put up on an altar, man. And, idolize. You know, yeah. Idolize and all that stuff. And that was, man, when I first moved to New York, I was like, man, that's the that's the first gig that Michael was playing at the bottom line. And I was like, I'm going to see him at the bottom line. And <laughs> I want to play with him. And da 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 And, you know, it's whatever. I'm... I'm thinking, yeah, 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 but I still I love him and his music. And then when I got to meet him and got to play with him, and got to know him, and found out he was like, just like, you know, amazing he was as a as a human being, yeah. not not only as a, a you know saxophone player, as a musician, and you know, mm-hmm. and his brother Randy and and Bob Berg, all you know, all those all those cats that I've met. In that era, man, were just, they were very cool. They were yeah. very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you, was Clarence Penn at VCU when you were there? <clears throat> he left, I mean, he left. I left <laughs> the year before he got there. So I left. He got there. So I left and then he came. But I would come back, okay. you know, because the connection was Ellis, Marcellus. So he, yeah, so he yeah. started studying with Ellis and started playing with Ellis, and and I would come back to the school and kind of hook up with them and hang out. And, right. And then when he moved to New York, then he kind of looked me up, and then you know we became friends. Yeah. Yeah, you guys have have similar. There's a lot of similarities <laughs> in your careers to a, to a certain yeah, degree. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, but you were really fortunate where you grew up because there was like. There's something in the water up there with for bass players. Like, what's what's going on with that part of Virginia? I don't know. It, like, you got the Wooten Brothers. You got Teal, Burbage. Yep. Yeah. Um. There's Carter. Carter. Like all those dudes from Dave. <laughs> like, Madden's. what's up with that? Why? Got Missy Elliott, Tim, Timberland, <laughs> yeah. the Neptunes. Um. Why do you think that is? Like, that's kind of crazy. It was weird because it's not like that now. I'm telling you, it's not. Right. But it was just a generational, it was a generational thing, thing like. and at that time, yeah, it just like people cared about music, and it was a competition, and it was a, it, it was like, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like you wanted to state your claim about who you were, and but in a nice way, in a nice way, everybody. <laughs> You know, we used to get together and jam and play, and mm-hmm. um, and a lot of us. The only way we could have uh, make money was play at Bush Gardens. So that's why a lot of us went to Bush Gardens or King's Dominion, which yeah. is in Richmond. Yeah. And um, but it was just at that time that it was like all these bad musicians at this one time, <laughs> and then and then everyone left. Everyone went. Everyone, everyone went to, yeah. Everyone went to Nashville, New York, L.A., 
you know, wherever. But yeah, not Virginia. <laughs> Are you and Victor still pretty close? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, as as close as we can be. <laughs> yeah, you're both busy. Yeah, yeah. But I was just, I actually was going to text him today because I saw this video uh, with him. And I was going to text him and kind of mess with him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, yeah, I met him when I was like 13 or 12 or something like that. Wow. And he was 15, I think, yeah. And is that about the time you picked up the electric bass? 12? 12, yeah. I played guitar before that. Was there a lot of music in your house? For your Was your family musical? Nope. No. No. Which is all, it's a mystery to me. <laughs> mystery. Um, yeah. They, um, you know, they listened to music. Right. And they had albums around. And it, it wasn't like it wasn't in the house. It's mm-hmm. just that, it's it just that they didn't do it. Right. And so I, I, I got it from other friends and people that I've met along the way. The Wootens, um, Billy Drummond, who's a drummer that lived in the neighborhood with the Wootens, who's a great drummer. Mm-hmm. Steve Wilson, who was this great saxophone player that lived in the same area. Right. Um, it was just like a lot of us. And we played in different bands and competed and... Um, Hung out together, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Because when I moved to New York, I was the first one that kind of moved to New York uh, connected to to the Wootens. So they would always come up, and I was staying in the uh, attic of my uncle's place, Mm -hmm. and they would come and stay with me, and they'd stay in the attic with me, and then we'd go into the city during the daytime and, (laughs) and, you know, yeah, just run around and have fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. All those names from one, one small area. It's pretty unique. <laughs> I know, and, and still, you know, close to this day. I think Victor did something two years ago at his camp, and he invited, you know, a lot of us from Virginia to to come and kind of hang out. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was nice. Stuff. Do you teach much? Do you enjoy teaching? Uh, yes and no. Um, but I have. I, I was actually. I did a year at uh, Berkeley, but uh, things got a little busy, and then with touring. So yeah. Um. But yes, I do. I do. I do. I teach and. Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I like it. <laughs> private, private students. Yeah, I, 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 I like it when they they um, and they it, they all can't get it at the same time. But that you see that something that you have said to them or showed them or taught them or whatever has gotten in there mm-hmm. and kind of you know uh, revealed itself. Right. That's the rewarding part <laughs> when mm-hmm. it, when that lands. For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Here's James with the Brecker Brothers from their album Out of the Loop. This one is Scrunch. Sax player, one of the things that I've heard a lot of my peers talk about, and even I, it seems like we're all working on this lately, is time. It's like playing with better time. And yeah. as non-rhythm section players, I don't know why there's not more of a focus on time <laughs> as a as a single note players. But do you, what would, like... How do you work, or how would you, what advice would you give to, uh, like, horn players to work on their time, to be to play better in the groove, or just play have better time in general? Any any thoughts on that? I'm thinking. <laughs> um, I hate to say it, but metronome. Yeah. But even programming like a... a a groove or a beat or because it doesn't have to be like I guess it doesn't have to be in any sort of like it has to be like two four a pocket kind of thing it could be a jazz thing it could be something in three mm -hmm. and um I would say maybe like take that and put it in a four bar phrase or something like that mm -hmm. 
within that and practice because at some point you're going to have to realize that whether it's one bar, two bars, three bars, four bars, whatever tempo there is, there's only so much that's in between those bars. (laughs) And mathematically you can see what it is and you should be able to feel what it is. Mm -hmm. And, I think, you know, maybe it could be start off with two bars or whatever, but, um, you know, kind of play within those those two bars with scales, with with uh, melodies, with lines, with whatever, mm-hmm. and, and then an improvisational kind of thing, and then and then you drop you drop some beats out of okay. the two bars or the four bars. <laughs> And then, so you say like every two bars, mm-hmm. and then you got the the downbeat, mm-hmm. bar three, right, bar four, and then you're back at bar one. You know, right. to kind of like you know, to give your like a, your your body some internal feeling about like space and time, mm-hmm. because I think it's all yes, it can be like a robot and da 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 da, yeah, but there's also, you're still within that same time frame. And however you break it up, it'll still be the two bars, no matter Mm -hmm. if you do like quarter notes or half notes or 16th notes and you can manipulate them however you want to, but at the end of the two bars, that's the end of the two bars. And then then I I feel like, you know, you should practice on different, you know, variations of that in feeling like what it feels like in a two bar phrase at certain tempos. And then you they can change the tempo to fast or slow, but it kind of gives you like an internal clock with mm. where things are within, you know, the bar. Gotcha. And that, that helps a lot with soloing because it's kind of like, you know, a lot, a lot of times I heard some drummer talk about this the other day. A lot of times you're not thinking about like your subdivisions and all that. You're thinking about the time within the time. Yeah. And as long as you know where that beat is or the end of that phrase or the end of that bar, you can, you know, you can play whatever you want to play and kind of, you know, move around within that, but still knowing where, you know, one is or two, right. three, four. Right, and having that internalized. Yeah, but but I, I saw you smile when I said like you take the beats away. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you know that that's yeah. good, right? Yeah. It it's is good. good. Yeah. And I used to I used to do that with like, you know, walking bass lines. Like, you know, I I expanded a little bit, you know, two bars, four bars, eight bars, but you have that click. Or if you want to have the click on two, one, wherever you want it, mm-hmm. you have the click, and then you you know you're walking, and where are you going to end up when that other click comes? <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Or even doing a even doing a beat, you know, like a drummer doing a beat, or mm-hmm. if you're doing a funk groove, or whatever you're doing, like you know when that downbeat hits, how how much internally can you keep that groove together? 
you know, till that beat comes around. Now it doesn't have to be like, you know, spot on because no, I don't think anybody's time is like perfectly on. No. But if you're all relative within like a millisecond or whatever, <laughs> it's, it, it's going to have that groove, right? Right. Yeah. And so, and that's what I, I think it's about that internal clock. I think it's about that internal clock and knowing where the beat is. But mm. that that's one of the exercises that I'd like to tell yeah. people to, to do. Does that lead to, like, you know, people say playing in the pocket, and that's like this... It's almost hard to define, because, like, you, I can listen to six amazing bass players, and there could be two of them that are just, like, in the pocket. Like, they're, they're just... Like, your body... Something happens to your body when the pocket is there, <laughs> right? Right, right. Like you right. just relax or you just start moving. It's one of those things that's it almost seems almost hard to teach someone how to play in the pocket that deeply. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I, I think I think it's about experience too. Mm-hmm. Because. Like, it's kind of like one thing I was telling, like, the student. Like, they were saying, oh, I can just go on the Internet and I can download it and I can listen to it and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, but you, you, you're taking away, like, some of the most important parts of, like, being there in the moment. And, you know, waiting in line to, to get into the place and blah, 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 and it's packed and it's crowded and the anticipation of, like, this band about to play that you've been, like, waiting to hear this music and blah, 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 blah. And then they play, and then this is where I go to. Experiencing, if this band has a pocket, experiencing what it feels like mm. as, an, as a, a participant, as a listener mm. to something that you think is really funky or really whatever. And then you know how that, you know that same feeling when you feel it when you're playing. Right. And I, and I, and I say that to people also that are playing, like, you know, uh, it could be acoustic guitar, electric guitar, acoustic bass, electric bass. But to know, just to know conceptually, like, especially with acoustic bass and uh, electric bass, like, you don't have to play it but just know what it feels like to like hold it and play a note and feel the vibration and the sound coming from the instrument to know what that feels like. Mm. And then maybe you can kind of transport that feeling when you play electric bass and somebody say, man, I want like an acoustic bass sound and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember how that felt. Let me try to get that vibe, you know? Mm. And, and vice versa with the acoustic bass trying to do the electric thing. Yeah. And um, and that's how I feel with those things. You have to, with the pocket, I mean, yeah, it's hard to learn, but it, it's not hard to learn if you're, if you know examples of it and you feel it and you've, you know, you've seen it live yeah. and you, you've heard it and, and you know what it feels like to be in it. Yeah. You know, makes sense. So a, yeah, no, totally. It's a felt somatic experiential thing yeah. I totally get that 
Yeah. Totally get that. Yeah. 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 That's great. I love that. Um, speaking of moving between acoustic and electric, do you, what's your relationship between those two? And, and do you think about or approach them differently? I had, uh, uh, Matt Garrison did an interview with me the other day <laughs> and because, uh, you know, he's, you know, his father was a, a great acoustic bass player. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he never really played it, but um, but he, he was asking me that same question. But he knows the concept and he's played it. And I said, I said, for me, I mean, I see it as bass. I, the concept for me is that I'm playing bass and I'm fortunate enough to be able to have studied and played both where I can, you know, express myself on both. Mm -hmm. But, but my approach is, um, conceptually I'm playing, I'm, I'm doing my part in the music, uh, playing bass and, and whatever that music calls for, be it like, uh, you know, Daft Punk or be mm -hmm. it with Herbie or be it with Michael Brecker or be, it's just kind of like, and, and intertwine, you know, interchanging also, cause maybe I'm playing electric and I wanted to, to do something that's not really an electric bass kind of thing, but it's a bass thing because conceptually I'm just thinking bass and compositionally right. I'm thinking yeah. bass and whatever instrument that I have in my hand is going to convey that. Sure. Yeah. Do you, have you ever played a gig where you, where you switch between the two or are most of your gigs just one? Within a song or within a gig? No, within a gig. <laughs> yeah. Like where you yeah. switch back and forth. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is that That's hard? Nice. No, wow. but yes. <laughs> okay. No, but yes. Especially with a lot of singers. Like with oh, Diane, right. Diane Reeves, I was I was switching back and forth. Um, oh, one of the first time that I was really doing it was with this band called the New York Voices. Oh and, yeah, great. And yeah. that's and this this woman, Marianne Topper, who managed uh, all the jazz greats back in the day, Ron Carter. Um, uh, Benny Green, Diana Krall, like yeah. she was like the one. Yeah. yeah. And um, she saw me playing, I was playing with Horace Silver, and mm -hmm. she saw me playing in the jam session, electric bass with George Benson. And she was like, wait a minute, what are you doing? Why are you playing electric bass? And I was like, yeah. I always play electric bass. <laughs> yeah, but you're not playing electric bass with him. I was like, yeah, because this is hard silver. I don't play electric bass with hard silver. I play, right. you know. And that's yeah. kind of how I, I was and how I was in New York. No one would really know, like, where this dude, where he was coming from. <laughs> and, you know, the people in the, the straight ahead scene would know me as a straight ahead guy. And then the people yeah. on the, the Bleecker Street scene and all that other scene, they knew me as the electric guy. Right. And then, you know, those kind of worlds came together. And um, 
And so she was like, oh, you should play this gig where you're playing both. And I was like, all right. I get to play both. And, you know, there's good practice for, you know, doing one, putting it down. Because you're switching. And you're switching yeah. like, conceptually and playing. And, and I did that. Physically. With, yeah. And I did that yeah. with, with Chris Bodie. I did some, you know, oh, wow. like, like almost two years with him. And, um, yeah. So it, it took practice and it, um, and that's kind of, and then, and then he goes, <laughs> here's another thing. And then when it's just like, say I'm just playing bass, sometimes you don't get to, you might not have enough time to switch instruments. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So, <laughs> so you're just making it work. Yeah. Well, that one time, you know, you're supposed to put the, the electric down and put up the pick up the acoustic and you don't have enough time. So you got to play the electric, like whatever song you're going to play acoustic or vice versa. So that's right. kind of, you know, then, then you try to, you know, figure out conceptually how to, how to make that come across and, and people yeah. not saying, Oh, he's playing this or that song. <laughs> no. You They're know. just feeling the music. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's awesome. Once again, with Makoto Ozone from the album Dimensions, here's James playing on MCJ. What's it? What's it like playing with Jeff Watts? He's one of my favorite drummers. Jeff is—he's an amazing musician, mm-hmm. amazing. And I'm not just saying that because we share the same birthday and we're like <laughs> we're like good friends. And I mean, he—he he changed. There's there's very few drummers that have changed. Uh, the approach of playing mm-hmm. of, of playing a music or an, an era or an idiom or whatever, yeah. And and he influenced and changed the approach on drums, like Elvin did, mm-hmm. like you know, like all these great like all these great drummers did. And he 
he presented like a modern approach. When he came in, everybody was sounding like Jeff. Right. I don't. Do you remember that? Yeah, what with those. Yeah. I with mean, those, with, he was playing with Branford and all that. He was playing with Branford and he was playing yep. with Winton. Yep. And Black Coes. That album was. That just album like, was amazing. <laughs> that was like that album. I was playing that album all day, every day. Yeah. That was. That's, I was like, jeez. Yeah. And so they were gods to us. Yeah. And so yeah. when I was in school, and I was studying with Ellis. I was just like, man, did, did your son send some music home that we can play? You know, because you know, it's, it's Wenton and Branford. And I was just right. like, yeah, what are they doing, man? I want to like, this is my connection to them. Right. And then Jeff was a part of that. And Kenny Kirkland was a part of that. Yeah. And, um, and when he left, when he left Wenton and then went to go play with Branford, um, it was kind of a lull. Mm-hmm. where he was just kind of hanging out in the city. Mm-hmm. And so we did some gigs together. And get, and he knew me through Ellis. Yeah. Because, you know, they'd be joking with me. And, you know, they knew I was the little kid that was playing with with, with Ellis and yeah. I played bass. And, um, and so then we got to playing together. And, um, yeah. And then, then Branford... They went off to do the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Then Branford came back, and then he um, he was doing some gigs, and that was the the like he was talking about being like intimidated or afraid or whatever. Yeah. So the first gig I did because I used to go to Branford's house and we used to share together, play together. This was in New York. Yeah, when he was yeah. living in, in Brooklyn. Okay. And um, in Fort Greene and. And uh, the first gig that we did, no rehearsals, no nothing, and we're doing this gig, and it's, it's Tane, it's Jeff, uh-huh. and, and Kenny Kirkland, and, oh Bran- my gosh. and Branford, <laughs> his quartet, and we didn't rehearse, and we, we were just playing, and it was in a festival. Branford's tunes? Yep, and it was in a festival, too. So it looked like... <laughs> what? Yeah, so if I had music, you know, the music was blowing, and it's... Oh, right. <laughs> And, but, and I always, you know, I always thought of Jeff as like, you know, the player, the player. And then as I really delved into like the tunes on their, on, on Branford's album, on Winton's album or whatever, like Tane had these, him and Kenny wrote these tunes that were just like really bad, Mm -hmm. you know, and it kind (laughs) of like shaped the sound of like what was going on. And, um, yeah, and then then I started playing with him. With uh, we did that band with Michael Brecker, the quartet with Joey Calderazzo. Yeah, and he started bringing in tunes, and I was like, "Dude, <laughs> this is the guy that's this is the guy that's been writing these tunes. <laughs> He's the guy." Yeah, <laughs> you know, kind of almost the way it might be sacrilegious to all these people, but almost the same way. That I, I think of um, uh, uh, Grow and Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, Kurt, yeah, he's bad, but the dude on the drums behind you was really bad, <laughs> and nobody knew about it. So, did you know? 
Right. Because he didn't just like all of a sudden, Curtin just, I mean, um, Grodin all of a sudden say, oh, I'm going to play guitar and I want to write these incredible songs. I mean, he had to have been doing it, don't you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it just and, didn't happen. No, and but that's how I feel about like with Jeff, like kind of like, and he's still writing them. Like, I feel like, man, what I need to get in and write some tunes because he's just constantly like writing these incredible tunes. Yeah. And uh, and he's you know he's one of the most inf- influential drummers of his of his time. Yeah, like he you know <laughs> he changed the approach of drums. <laughs> Period. He did. He My did. Drum. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah. Do you write? Do you have? Have you been writing I, at all? Um, not as much as I should be. I do, and then I I delve into like doing um more like like popish mm-hmm. kind of stuff that I, I get with people and write tunes with and do stuff like that. Fine. But I want to, I want to like settle down and, and, you know, do a record. Oh, that would be yeah. awesome. Cause I, I've written tunes like through my, you know, through my career, a lot of them with, uh, Makoto Ozone. We had this band called the trio. Oh, right. And, uh, I would write tunes for that band. But I just have never done my own album. Do you think that will happen in the near future? I'm hoping, yeah. You're hoping? Well, that's exciting. <laughs> how is it with the Saturday Night Live band? Like, that's how does that? I'm curious how that works. So, like, you guys have rehearsals and then you come in and play the show. And, like, what is is it a week's worth of work? Like, how does, how does it unfold? Um,. It used to be more involved. When I first got on it, it was like three days that you would be there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the days you would be in the studio recording uh, music for the show and for the commercials and mm-hmm. all kinds of things like that. And then, um, then with technology, then it turned into we can just do it at the studio. Yeah. So we, we don't have to rent out a studio. We just do it in the studio and, and do it. And then or we'll just do it in Logic or Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. And then if we need some overdubs, you know, it's just like, you know, uh, the invention made things better, but the money right. made things like, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah. but so three days turned into, now it's, um, it's one impossible two days. So, uh if we have to rehearse something with the show, we might come in on a Friday and then uh, Saturday we come in in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so basically like 10 to one in the morning, 10 AM mm-hmm. to 1 AM. 10 AM to 1 AM. Yeah. So you got to get there now. You got to get there, get tested. Do the testing thing, wait to get mm-hmm. past test, and you go in, then you rehearse. And we rehearse for two hours, and then after that, if there's music to do with the sketches, then we do mm-hmm. that. And then that might run, depending on where it falls in the schedule, so you're just kind of hanging out, or uh, you, you're on break, so yeah. one of the two. And then you come back uh, and do the monologue, or the cold open if that might have music or whatever so yeah 
And then you do the monologue and you don't know how long that's going to take or how right. that's going to be. <laughs> and uh, then you have dinner and then you do a dress rehearsal mm-hmm. and then you do live. So, so basically saying, yeah, 10 a.m. to get there to start the day and then it's in the frame of 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. Wow. Yeah. And are you guys backing, I'm trying to remember if you guys back a lot of the guest musicians or do they mostly bring in their own band? No, it's usually self-contained with that. Sometimes and there have been, you know, situations where the band has played with the guest artists mm-hmm. or, you know, either horn player or horn players or yeah. one time the rhythm section did something and but usually it's like self-contained because you're promoting your thing, you know, your yeah. band, your <laughs> your show. Sure. Um, but but I used to like when I first got on the show. Um, when was that? Two thousand. Okay. Two thousand one, something like that. All right. Uh, um, they used to have uh, guests musical artists that came in and sat in with us. And that was always kind of fun. You know, Maceo Maceo would be on there (laughs) one Saturday. And then, you know, it's just like, you never know who would come through. And that would be always kind of nice. Um, They would just hang with the band. Yeah, hang and play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's it like working with uh, Lenny Pickett? Great. It's a great yeah. leader. I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot to deal with. He handles it. <laughs> <laughs> he handles it really well. Yeah, and uh, you know he's dealing with a lot of personalities and people and uh, non musicians and yeah. Um, but he's good. And then uh, just the the history of where he came from is always amazing to me because Tower of Power mm-hmm. and. You know, he's probably one of the smartest dudes I've ever met <laughs> who never went to school. It's <laughs> amazing to me. But, um, wow. Yeah, he's, he's really smart. Um, but a great musician, and he, oh, yeah, yeah. he manages it. Manages it. Yeah, so. his sound, and he's just got such a distinct. Like, mm-hmm. he's, the, he's sort of the sound of Saturday Night. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Altissimo and that. <laughs> right? right. I mean, I that was he was a for, for me as a sax player. He was a frame of reference for that sound mm-hmm. growing up because you know we we'd sit, stay up late and listen to Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny that three of the the sax players that have the most distinct kind of like sound and qualities to their playing used to play on that show. <laughs> Sanborn. David Sanborn. Yeah. Michael Brecker. Mm-hmm. And Lenny. Yeah. yeah. They both have like a. It's yeah. very distinct. If you pick it out like immediately. <laughs> oh, that's. Yeah. That's David. That's. Yeah. 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 That was he. David Sanborn. That's why I started playing the sax, or you know, he was a big influence on. Me. There was an album called "As We Speak." Ooh, great album! Ah, oh, man, 
<laughs> yeah, it's a tune called "Rain on Christmas." It's still one of my, yeah. one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, and he's still playing. He's he's doing these live things on or doing these Sanborn sessions. It's super cool. No, I know, I know. I haven't baited over there. He's he's <laughs> he's teased me a couple oh, times. Has he, has yeah. he reached out to you? Yeah. Hey James, this, uh, what are you what are you doing? You want to do this thing? And I'm like, yeah. Okay, I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So he was one of those guys too that you know, because I grew up on that. Mm-hmm. Marcus and him, you know. Yeah, Hiram Bullock and Hiram. Yeah. yeah, that band was crazy bad. Oh my god. Yeah. So the guy, you know, from the time I got to play with him. And I got to record with him too, so it's kind of like you recorded with Samwork. Mm-hmm. Which album? It is a they did um, a round two of um, Bob James and Sanborn duo. Oh record. right, Double Vision, the Double Vision. They thing. did a they did a second Double Vision and the call. That's right. And it was me, Steve Gadd, uh, oh. Sanborn, and Bob James. Yeah. Wow. Steve Gadd. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Is there a drummer you haven't played with? <laughs> <laughs> um, Man. Yeah. But yeah? Are there, who, there, who haven't you played with that you really want to play with? That's, that's uh, drummer, drumming-wise. Uh, that's hard. I mean, I've, I've actually really had to think about that. I really have to think about that. Um, um, you can get back to me. Yeah. Because <laughs> you said that. I was just curious because your resume is like, <laughs> that I haven't oh my played. gosh. And I'm saying that, that I haven't, haven't played, played with. with. And so now I have to think about it. Like, who haven't I have played with? Have you played with, with Dijonet? Jack? Have you played with Jack? Yeah. Played mm-hmm. with, recorded with. On a record by Tim Reese, and mm-hmm. uh, went up to jam with him at his house in Woodstock a couple times. Yeah. And Dennis Chambers. Dennis Chambers, Brecker Brothers. Oh, Brecker Brothers, that's right. Oh, uh, yeah. Bob Berg. <laughs> Bob Berg. Uh, yeah. Vinny. That's awesome. Vinny Kelly, it. Weckle. Uh, Lenny White, uh, Jeff Watts, of course. Did you play with Charlie Watts ever? (laughs) Yes, I did. did No, because it's funny because it sounds like I'm like making it up. But I did. And I was thinking about that when he passed the other day and I got to find this recording. So I did Marion McPartland. Piano jazz. Yes. <laughs> so I did Marion McPartland with uh, Tim Reese, who played sax in, uh, with the Stones. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we did, we did like a lot of stuff together. And um, Charlie and myself. And we did one of those Marion McPartland things. Wow. And he played drums on it. He was, wow, what was that like? It was interesting. <laughs> I bet. I you know what? And I can't remember like ex- distinctly like what about it. Yeah. 
but we were playing like we were playing like jazz. We were playing straight ahead. I, I think it might have gotten as maybe brought some sticks in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It might have been just like brushes and stuff right. like that. But I was playing upright, and he was playing yeah, Charlie. Wow. <laughs> How about Antonio Sanchez? Yep, we played together. I've done I've done a couple gigs of his and with other people, and then we just played uh, the um, um, hold on one second yeah, yeah. the the international jazz mm-hmm. uh, thing that that just passed recently okay um. So they did one out in LA and one out in um, uh, in New York. And so he and I were with the New York group with Joe Lovano. Oh, fine. And um, who's played there with us? I think. I can't remember. Anyway, but yes, we know each other and we've played with each other. That's yeah. cool. Uh, Adam Nussbaum. Mm. Um, here's one. Okay. In the nineties, I was called three times to do a gig at Yoshi's um, with Tony Williams and Gonzalo. Oh. And I was. <sighs> Man. And you were booked or you, were, you couldn't take the gigs? I was I was out with the, the Brecker brothers. Wow. And I couldn't do the gig. That's unfortunate. We um well we're uh we're on, we're almost done. I wanted to ask about so we, what your practice routine is like. So coming out of COVID and then you knew you had this stuff coming up with Herbie, like what is a, what does a practice routine or practice session look like for you when you're getting ready for something like that? Um, I don't know. A, a lot of times it's, um, you know, because a lot of times I can't physically get to the practicing part, so it's kind of uh, a lot of listening mm-hmm. and listening to different musics and when I'm dropping kids off places or, <laughs> yeah. or, or doing something like that. Um, but, um, you know, this summer I had like a like a week break and and so I was able to actually just pick up because I had some gigs and sessions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think just kind of getting the muscles back to, you know, being responsive and, and playing. And I think it's a physical kind of thing. Yeah. For me. Yeah. And because um, not to get, you know, because if you try to approach it like you've been doing it forever and physically your body's not, you know, you, hurt something same thing with like yeah. athletes or whatever yeah, you can't yeah. just jump on the court and think that you can like do all this stuff you got to like work up to it so yeah um i think yeah it's just physically just 
especially with the upright, just uh, getting your stamina together, getting, you know, because mm. you're still going to get them anyway, like calluses and blood yeah. blisters and all that. But, um, and then maybe get to the other stuff. I don't know, <laughs> slowly but surely. But yeah. I think for me, it's like the physical part of it. And then if I can grab some other things to practice, I will. Yeah. Yeah. What, speaking of listening, what do you, do you spend a lot of time listening? And if so, what are you listening to these days? Oh. I don't know. Um, I catch myself listening to the, um, what's it called? I can't remember what it's called, but it's on cable TV. So it's the jazz, it's the jazz station on cable TV. And so, Perfect. you know, we don't want to have television on for the kids. So yeah. that's kind of my thing. Like, so that'll be on. And it'll be like, you know, some later stuff like Matheny. Like, you know, it's just like kind of randomly going on over like with yeah. the latest stuff that's been released. And, sure. I, you know, I've heard some, some good things when it, and when I look and I'll see what it is and then I'll catch that and um, or just other things that, you know, people have turned me on to, not anything specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leading up to the, this stuff with Herbie, do you just, do you start listening to a lot of his records then or not um, so much at this point? Cause for 10 years you've. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe listening to, yeah. Some of the songs we're going to do. Yeah, and um, you know, I, not listening to him more than I I normally listen to him because I listen to him, you know, yeah, a fair amount. <laughs> sure, but um, uh, yeah, no, I was just What's, saying, but just listening to all kinds of things because I mean, different things are going to influence me anyway, so. I not, might not even be listening to anything that has to do with what I'm playing. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead, what? No, no, I'm just curious. A lot of uh, working professional musicians like yourself don't, surprisingly don't listen very much because they want to have quiet. <laughs> yeah. Or they're only listening to what they're about to work on, like the projects that they're getting ready to yeah. do. That's very true. That's very, very true. Listening and playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what I was doing. Like, yeah. You know, I tell people, man, the young people, take advantage of this because <laughs> it will go away. Right. right. It, it will go away. You better, what are you doing? <laughs> you better pick that instrument up. Play right. it. Life While starts. You have the luxury. <laughs> yeah, life starts <laughs> happening, and you might not have the luxury of doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Mm-hmm. What else is What else is on the horizon this year? I know you got this stuff with Herbie. Any recordings or any other projects um, coming up this year or into next year? I know we're getting towards the fourth quarter, so. Yeah. Not. Not anything of note, just kind of mm-hmm. the the usual 
stuff. Um, yeah, because, I mean, things come up. Like I did um, the soundtrack for the Aretha movie. Oh, That's out. Yeah. So, you know, things come up like that. You know, so usually that's yeah. that that was that was something that was kind of cool, and um, so yeah, just kind of going with uh, um, oh, I'm doing this project with uh, the singer Luba, and hmm. she's the I don't know if they're married, partner, significant other of uh, Ruben Blades, Ruben Blades. Yeah, and so she's a singer, and I did a, um, I did kind of like a a live record with her and Joe Locke um, at uh, was Avatar then or Power Station. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing a couple gigs with uh, with her and him. <coughs> um, Is it Latin? Is that Latin music? No, it's kind of, it's not Latin. It's just okay, just her stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then SNL. And SNL. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey James, uh, it's been great talking with you, and uh, I hope your instruments are okay. <laughs> I can't even. I I didn't even. Yeah. I didn't even tell you a story about my bass that I've been playing for years got lost. Oh. got lost for four days. The airline. How did you? The airline lost it. Four days. So you checked. You checked it, checked and they it lost it, for- and it never came out. Oh my god! The, the case was open, and the instrument wasn't in the case, and it was four. The, it was four days of them going. I don't know. This never happens. <laughs> and um yeah and they found it and that was my first flight after a year and a half <laughs> a year and a half and i had not been dealing with airlines or lost luggage or anything and that was my first trip and uh where were you going was that to Europe? To here or is it oh it's to, to chicago yeah new york to chicago <laughs> then come to find out that the tsa Took it, oh, took it out, and did put it back in, <laughs> and it it wasn't tagged, so it was just an instrument. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the case was tagged, but the items inside the case aren't tagged. So it's like somebody, you know, somebody could have stole it. And I don't know. That's crazy. So TSA took it out and did. How did they not put it back in? Like, that's weird. Yeah, I don't know. That's wow, what I'm glad you yeah, got that, it back. That's what the story was. Yeah, I, I still have to, I still have to pick the instrument up and find out what the true story was. But um, oh, you haven't got it. Still have it, it never left New York. So what do you? I had to. I had to it, yeah, I had to find find an instrument, an instrument there, there and yeah. Oh, what a drag! Mm-hmm. Oh man, how stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Herbie. I don't have an instrument. No, because we're supposed to supposed to start the rehearsal the, the the day after I got here. So yeah, I didn't have an instrument, so I had to find an instrument. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. But you found one. Evidently. I found one, and I found, <laughs> and they found mine. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I hope the rest of the rehearsal. Well, you guys have a gig tomorrow night. Right? The day after, starting day after tomorrow. Wait, wait, no, tomorrow. Jeez, right. Tomorrow night. Yes, tomorrow. Second. Yeah. Well, I hope the gigs go well and the tour is a success. And um, you have to figure out where you guys are playing in Oregon. That's really cool. I'll look on the calendar. I had it up. Yeah. I'll, I'll find it out. Okay. But, um, yeah, and this, this, uh, this flutist, Elena, she sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. No, she's... Everybody's good. It's like, you know... Sounds like a fun, fun band. It's a fun band, and you know, he makes it fun, and he makes it fun musically, and yeah, inspiring, and all those things. <laughs> cool. All right, James. Well, thanks for being here, and uh, hope hope to meet you in person one day. Pleasure, pleasure. Have fun down there. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Okay. Hey everyone, just a couple of things before you head on your way. First of all, thanks again for listening. I so appreciate you as an audience. And if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend. It's a goal of mine to grow the audience and get the exposure these musicians deserve. So please tell somebody, point them to the website, point them to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'd love to grow the audience and give these artists the attention they so deserve. Speaking of the website, head on over there, theplayfulmusician.com. You can hear all past shows and see show notes from this show, as well as all the other shows. I hope you're enjoying this summer. Things are starting to heat up, and we've got a great lineup on the way for the next few months. So stick around and leave a review. If you're you're enjoying the show, it would be great to get more reviews up on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Okay, everybody, take good care, and we'll see you real soon.